0: Welcome to the PA Football Story Podcast, where your host, Chad Brewbaker, will sit down and talk to coaches and players to discuss the classic stories and rich history surrounding the game of football in Pennsylvania. Please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to get all of the latest content. You can also follow us on Twitter at the PA Football S1. Again, that's the PA Football S and the number one, or on our Facebook page, the PA Football Story Podcast. If you would like to contact us about advertising, please email us at PAFootballStoryPodcast at gmail.com. Today's guest on the PA Football Story Podcast is PSFCA Hall of Fame coach Mike Williams. Coach Williams just completed his 49th season at Mannheim Central, where he is now coaching wide receivers and special teams for head coach Dave Hahn, who succeeded Mike as head coach in 2015. Coach Williams is a Manheim Central and Lock Haven graduate. As Manheim Central's head football coach, Coach Williams won 348 games and is the winningest coach in District 3 history. During his tenure, Manheim Central won 16 District 3 championships, was a state runner-up in 2004 and 2009, and won a PIAA state championship in 2003. Now, here is your host, Chad Brubaker.
1: Okay, so welcome, Coach, to the second episode. Actually, I didn't even ask you if um, you had a chance to listen to uh, Coach Contafio and if you have any rebuttals. <laughs> I did not listen, but I'm sure there's okay. something up that I could... Can... <laughs> yeah, I'll pull, I'll pull some things out. <laughs> so we are here with uh, Coach Mike Williams, who uh, is still coaching with Manheim Central and has been for um, 49 years, which is probably in some ways for you is, seems like it was just yesterday when you started, but in other ways, it's, it's a, it's a long time to be any place really.
2: Well, uh, I don't look at it. uh, I don't look at it as being a long, long long-term thing. You know, I look at it as year to year, you know, that's how I don't look back too much. Uh, You know, I don't rely on things that we did in the past. I'm looking at you know what I can do right now as a, as an assistant coach. So it's always each year is a new year, new exciting year for me. Uh, it's not drudgery. It's something that I love doing. And uh, forty nine years at Mannheim, but three years at Central Canterbury out in Western PA. So this this coming year will actually be my fifty third year of coaching football.
1: Yeah, I saw that. I didn't know where you were prior to that. I never knew that. You know, Central. Was, yeah, it's
2: a small school in Cambry mm-hmm. County. Uh, the biggest city in Cambry County is Johnstown. So
1: right, right. So the the um, you know when you were starting out, um, how did you end up? Well, you were a Manheim Central grad, correct? Right. And I, so yeah, I, yeah, go ahead. Talk about that a little bit. Well,
2: uh, first of all, I graduated from Lock Haven, and then went to a year of graduate school at, at Penn State, where I was a graduate assistant in physical education. I didn't even know what a grad assistant in football was way back then. I was that dumb. So there was a guy in one of my classes and he said he's a football grad assistant. I said, well, how how do you get to do that? Well, long story short, uh, you know, uh, I wondered why maybe I didn't even think about doing that. But my wife uh, uh, was a student at Lock Haven. So. Her father happened to be the uh, school board president at Central Caribbean High School. So that had nothing to do with how I got a job there. But anyway, sure, I got, sure. got a job and uh, I was an assistant football coach and they uh, wanted to start a wrestling program. So I had a wrestling background from high school and one year at, at Lock Haven, I wrestled. Uh, I wasn't good enough. Lock Haven was back in the 60s, was power, they, had, they were a powerhouse for their size school and they had uh, Division One national champ almost every year during that period of time. So they said, do you want to start a, the program? Uh, and I said, sure. So I started the wrestling program there and was an assistant football coach. Well, lo and behold, the head wrestling coaching job at Manheim Central opened up. And uh, I thought, well, let's talk to my wife. And uh, even though she was from out there, she hmm. she was you know nice enough that she decided it would be okay to move east so I came East and took over the head uh, wrestling coaching job and was an assistant football coach. So I actually was a head wrestling coach for 11 years. And, uh, one of those years I was both head wrestling coach and head football coach, which yeah. didn't work out too well. You just don't, <laughs> you don't have enough time in a day for that. So, uh, I was uh head, I became head football coach in, uh, 1981. And, uh, I was that year that I, I was also the head wrestling coach. And then the next year I still wanted to stay in wrestling. So I went to the junior high school and coached an additional 11 years in junior high, but 1981 was my first year. Uh, we didn't have state playoffs yet. Uh, in fact, I think maybe we just started district playoffs district three playoffs in 81, perhaps. So anyway, that's, that was yeah. the start of it. We had, uh, the coaches before, we really didn't have a weight room. Uh, we had maybe universal gym. Uh, but I was, uh, I knew the value of, of lifting weights. And, uh, so for a couple of years, we, we really didn't have much, but then, uh, we were renovating our junior high school and, uh, there was an old locker room in the basement that, uh, they didn't really touch. And so I asked our superintendent if I got the right people. This is like unheard of in today's age. But I said, if I get the right people in town and I give you uh, step-by-step information and keep your maintenance guys, can I do something with that weight room down, down below,
1: turn the locker room into a weight room.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's what we did. We knocked out walls and uh, that's where we really got the weight room. uh, The weight program started. Well, you guys were like,
1: you know, I, I can remember now i Told you that I was at Elizabethtown for three years with Joe Mack, and uh, clearly, actually, I was at Solanco for one year as a junior high coach. And my uh, circuit, we happened to be one back in those days. The the it would you know the ninth grade coaches had to go scout and not with a video camera with with a uh, piece of paper, and uh, but we saw you every week because what had happened was how they did the schedule, whoever you played the week ahead, Solanka would play the week after. So I saw, got to see you uh, beat up on quite a few opponents back then. But really, I wanted to know about the weight room and buy-in. Now, Manheim Central is a small town, you know, and it has, uh, I would say from the outside, people would say, you know, a strong work ethic involved in the community and a blue-collar work ethic. But you really had to get kids to buy in. And, you know, there's other small communities that are exactly the same or very similar, and and they haven't had the same success or had the same buy-in.
2: Well, uh, we started out with a small group, uh, you know, uh, maybe eight eight to ten players. Uh, and basically what happened is I, I was in the waiting room every day. I lived with those kids, and gradually it started to build because – You know, I I know coaches who have a weight, a strength coach, and they may stop in the weight room, but they're not into it. But we we were into it, and we studied, uh, you know, like I didn't really have a a great background in weight training because we didn't do uh, a lot when I was in high school, and we didn't do a lot at Lock Haven. But I did a lot of study and brought in guest speakers, guys who, you know, knew how to power clean, knew how to squat properly, and uh, we we brought them in to work with our kids on weekends, and then we as coaches were there, watched them, learn the technique, and then taught that technique. But I, I think the real buy-in was because I knew whether you were there or not uh, in the weight room because I was there every single day. I, yeah. I, I never missed a day, never had an excuse for you know not being there. And I think our kids, like you say, had blue-collar work ethic, and they started to see – uh the results of their labor and they would again we would be on the kids if they weren't in the weight room uh you know Monday we'd call them Monday night and find out where the heck they were and so right. with that. Now we never we never had a hundred percent but uh in our we had you know seventy five percent of our team was pretty good uh right pretty good attendance record in the weight room but again teaching starting with the basics and teaching the proper way to lift weights. You know, we just, I have seen terrible programs where kids just come into the weight room and they right. lift and they don't have any technique and you worry about them getting hurt. They don't under, you know, They don't understand what they're doing, but our thing is, uh, you know, just like today, you know, if you go to the weight room today at, at Mannheim, you'll see three to four coaches in the weight room at any given time now you know we don't get paid for that but right it's what we do and uh, so i think the buy-in uh, was great basically because we were teaching proper lifting and because the coach coaches were there and to be honest with you i think we were way ahead of a lot of teams in that initial weight program and of course as things progressed they got a lot tougher because other coaches saw what we we were doing in a sense. And then they started to pick up their programs and knew if they wanted to compete at at a high level, they'd have to start doing these things.
1: Well, I was, um, you know, two things, two comments, two follow-up comments. I hate when I see uh, coaches or kids post on Twitter, video of them, you know, doing a squat and they go down and they barely break their knee.
2: You know, yeah, I, same uh, thing. I see that. And I say, that's not even a squat. You and know?
1: there's a, and there's a coach there. And then they're saying new personal record. And I saw, I happened to see a kid. Um, and he was not, not that he wasn't strong, but he was trying to bench, you know, maybe three fifteen, and the coach had his hands on the bar. Like, and you know, that, things like that, you know, you do, you do get concerned. Um, But I will say this, you know, when I was at Elizabethtown way back when, um, one of the things, and I knew we were in trouble when, and you probably are aware of this, but uh, kids from other schools would always just make the excuse that Mannheim Central kids were taking steroids. And, (laughs) you know, as soon as I heard that, I would get so angry with the kid, like, no, no, they're just in the weight room every single day. And if you want to be like that, you know, you have that opportunity but i knew we were behind the eight ball when when uh when that was when that was the comment
2: he so. not, not only used steroids that we recruited a lot as yeah well.
1: right well we can get into that later because i know that's one of the <laughs> things that you want to talk about but yeah. yeah you know in those early days then you know this uh young brash guy got hired at conestoga valley uh we had him on last week and uh uh we we're talking to him and and uh you guys had some battles
2: Oh, we did. You know, it it was a great rivalry back back in those days, the early days, the uh, the eighties and nineties. It was E Town and, and uh, Conestoga Valley were our our biggest rivals, and those things changed over the course of the uh, the last you know twenty five thirty years. But we had some great battles, and uh, I remember uh, my first. I'm not sure. Yeah, my first year we played them. First year as a head coach, and they they killed us. They beat us like thirty-seven nothing, and we weren't even in the hunt. The next year, uh, we beat them at at Mannheim. Of course, Jim would say the officials cheated them because <laughs> they went up seventeen. Comes
1: up every now and then.
2: <laughs> yeah, they went up uh, that game. Uh, I think they went up seventeen fourteen with not a lot of time to play, and then we put together a twelve-play drive and scored with only uh, you know probably less than. Thirty-five, less than thirty seconds left in the game, we scored to go up uh, twenty to uh, seventeen, and then they threw some hail mary pass <laughs> and s- scored, but they had a line, they had a lineman downfield, so <laughs> that created a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, anger out of the Conestoga Valley.
1: That probably helped uh, future years. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: anyway, uh, we, we beat them. And then I think after that, they beat us for like three years. And then from then on, it was, we started to, you know, really going back our program, it took a while to get going. I think we, we really, uh, you know, you started the weight program, but in 1988, okay. I took over in 81 and we had some eight and two years and things like that, which always losing the CB in those years. But in 88, we had our first undefeated season at, when I was the head coach, 10-0. And, 0. and uh, from then on, uh, you know, the, the things started to change and we started to do a little bit of domination because I think the, the weight program finally kicked in. So it's like coaches starting a weight program. Uh, it's not just going to happen overnight. It's going to take a while. It takes a while for kids to buy in. It takes a while for kids to develop. You know, you starting to get some younger kids, ninth graders in the weight room a little bit and so on. So but we had some battles then and uh we had some classics uh later on. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, that we hopefully we can talk about. I know you talked to Jim about a couple of them. <laughs>
1: well what about let let's hear your version of the uh Miami of the North.
2: Well, uh that was uh let's see it that was uh nineteen 19- I have a little record, nineteen ninety-two. Okay. So we played Conestoga Valley at Mannheim in the eighth eighth week of the regular season. And uh of course, Jim this would tell you they had five thousand yards on offense, but we beat them fourteen to eight, and they were on our goal line at the very end of the game, and it was fourth down. They were like, let's say, on the three yard line, and we sacked the quarterback. And won the game 14 to eight, but they had all this yardage. We, I think, we might have recovered a fumble for an easy score. And uh, it, it, we didn't play a very good offensive game defensively, we didn't play very well either. But they didn't score, right? So I'm looking, you know, we're playing them as it turns out in the district finals a couple weeks later. And I'm thinking, what the heck can we use for motivation because they they have everything going for them because they did all these great things. And I mean, even though Jim would maybe exaggerate a little bit they they dominated the game but we won that's what maybe the term manheim magic one of the one of the terms for manheim magic so um i'm thinking it's friday and uh i'm still thinking what the heck can we do to motivate these kids and of course open the lancaster sports page (laughs) there's an article about the game and and jim's talking about the. uh, football but the sports writer said yeah they I was in the locker room and they had this article in there that uh from the uh, University of Miami uh and it said that because Jim I think had visited Miami for spring football the previous year and uh they they the, the article said the coach uh, said well we consider Conestoga Valley to be the Miami of the north and good luck in their <laughs> game Friday night <laughs> So I'm thinking that's it, that's it. Crazy me. I went in. I went into school. and I asked the principal, "Can I get on the PA system before, before or <laughs> after the morning announcements?" So he said, "Okay." So he let me get on there, and I spoke to the student body and said, "Look, there's an article in the paper. The University of Miami is rooting for Conestoga Valley to beat us. I guess it was the game was Saturday." Mm-hmm. Uh, to beat us. And I said, I don't I don't think that's fair. I said, I think there'll be a petition in the cafeteria. We're gonna get enough signatures to sign uh I was looking for like somewhere five five to six hundred signatures on that uh petition. We're gonna fax that to the University of Miami and if you get if we get five at least five hundred signatures, I'll get my head shaved and uh you know just see what it's all about. So lo and behold we got more than enough <laughs> we sent the uh we i had went to the office in the afternoon we had the secretary fax that to uh the university of miami football office within a half hour i get a phone call from the university of miami <laughs> saying oh we didn't mean anything by it but the kids didn't know the kids sure didn't know. and uh so we came out and whether this had anything to do with the victor or not but i think we beat him like 23 to 14 in the district finals and uh, Monday, I got—I didn't actually get my head totally shaved, but I had <laughs> somebody to come in, and they did enough to make it really, really look bad. So, <laughs> That's anyway, great. That was a district finals, and then of course we uh, ended up having to play Berwick uh, with Ron Paulus at quarterback in the first round of states, and which they went about a forty mile an hour windstorm, and uh, they beat us pretty good. Ron yeah. was exceptional.
1: Yeah, he um, was crazy.
2: But anyway, that was that was the uh you know it's one of those funny stories whether the fact that the kids got fired but our kids were fired up and at the end of the game our parents in the stands up uh was that hershey rolled out this like this 50 foot uh sign that said we just beat the miami of the north (laughs) so that kind of that kind of rubbed it in a little bit
1: so right that's great yeah the manheim central uh fans were always uh yeah, they weren't the nicest. <laughs> no, no, were the, and sometimes that worked against you too. Yeah.
2: Well, I think one of the things that's that our fans, our fan base was pretty solid. So with, whenever Jim would come to Manhunt, he, <laughs> yeah, right, he, they would just be all over him. And but he, you know, he would be the kind of guy that could. It didn't bother him that
1: much, you know. And oh, just, sure. Yeah, it wasn't. And you they, could almost say as long as someone was paying attention to him, he was good about it. <laughs> yeah. well, I, think,
2: I think while we had a good rivalry in the years that we played each other, and and I get, we're I consider us to be pretty good friends now, but he always, uh, he always liked to talk a lot. And I like to take a little bit of the humble role. You know, I remember yeah. the old biblical verse, <laughs> he who exalts himself is humbled and he who humbles himself is exalted. So I, that was uh, for a natural rivalry that if we both would have been boisterous, you know, boastful, it wouldn't have been as good. So,
1: well, you know, the other team that you mentioned in uh, section two of the LL league was uh, E-Town. And um, like I said, I was there. I certainly was, um, you know, Jack Kasselbaum was still, um, he was the senior project coordinator when, uh, when I was there, no longer the head football coach. He had some, you know, health issues where he had to, to, uh, slow down a little bit, but I was so fortunate to, uh, be able to spend some time with Jack. Um, you know, I'll never forget. I'm sure you have stories, but I'll never forget at his retirement. Um, I don't know why, I don't know why, but something about, he liked blueberry schnapps or something. So I took a (laughs) bottle of blueberry schnapps and we were, uh, I guess wherever it was being held, the bathroom was right inside the door. So um, I pulled this out and he pushes me into the, into the bathroom. I'm like, Jack, what are you doing? He was, give me that. If my wife sees me drinking any of that, she'll kill me. (laughs) So, but there's a million stories about him, but you know, Jack was not, Jack was different than both of you.
2: Right. Jack, Jack, yeah, I, I really didn't know, uh, I mean, I knew about him and all the outlandish things he did, but right. I didn't really realize uh, what kind of a man he was uh, in the community of Elizabethtown. I know he had been a bunch of places, but I was at his funeral and uh, got a chance to listen to some of the speakers that uh, you know talked about him. And it, it was a pretty special moment for me to be there and hear some of the great yeah i'm sure there were funny things but some of the other important things that he did for kids and for the community so
1: jack um i tell you what jack was the type of person like a lot of people say you know someone will drop everything to uh help you out like jack literally would drop everything in his hands if you needed something and he would take it so seriously um you know that you almost felt uh I I don't know what the word is, but you just felt like, you know, you'd do anything for the guy. Um, You guys had two games in one year against E-Town that were um, coincidentally both, I think, 15-14 final scores. Yeah.
2: Well, if, you know, if I were any E-Town coaches, including Jack, I would hate us forever after (laughs) what happened to them. Yeah. So uh, the first game uh, was – This was 89? This was 1989. Yeah, that's my senior year. The very last game of the season. Now, at that time, uh, teams could start before Labor Day, and if your school district allowed you to. So, E Town was ten and zero, uh, and we started after Labor Day, so we were nine and zero. And it was at Elizabeth Town. I'll, I'll never forget the Friday uh, that day in school. It, that was all. I mean, all week in the newspapers, they had an art. Almost every day there was an article about the game, and our school literally was the most electric atmosphere I've ever seen for any game, including going to the state final. This It was just electric. And there was a kid yeah. from E-Town who dressed up and ran through the halls of our school. I mean, <laughs> that's, how, that's how good it was. So we go to E-Town and it is a packed house. There had to be, I mean, I don't know how much the stadium, but it, you know, wall to wall people, uh, four, they, I think at least seven or 8,000 people were there. We scored the very first play of the game uh, to go up, seven nothing we ran it ran we were running the beer at that time and we had the perfect beer you know we pulled the ball quarterback ran pitched it and we go the whole way following that time we didn't do anything we didn't do (laughs) anything you can say (laughs) it well uh it, it turned out that as the game progressed we weren't doing much of anything and uh we uh scored at the end of the game and uh It was 14-7, and we got it bound on the drive and scored at the end of the game. And I said, we're going to go for two. You know, we're not going to – and we ran a little toss to the – quick toss to the uh, halfback. We were split backs, and he scored. We won 15-14. Now, we were up 15-14, but he threw a long pass down the. uh, – A-Town had the ball back, and they threw a long pass down the field and just barely went through the receiver's hands. It would have been a touchdown. But we won – Won the game 15 14. Of course, I was uh, courageous and a genius for going for two. Yeah, right. Went in the game, and it was just <laughs> a mob scene. Uh, two weeks later, uh, we meet them. At, at that time, only four teams qualified for district. Right. Uh, they qualified, played another, I forget who they played, and we both won our game. So we're playing them at Hershey. And uh, pretty much the uh, same thing happens again where we're late in the game and uh, we're losing. 14 to seven again, it feels muddy and it's, you know, it's just a bad day. I remember uh, there was actually some snow in the stands and people were throwing snowballs at our, our fans were throwing snowballs at the E-Town buses <laughs> that went around the inside of the stadium, <laughs> including, I think our superintendent. Well. <laughs> anyway, so we, uh, we have the ball with one last hope and we're not really moving the ball, doing anything. 14, seven quarterback, Uh, Chad Ginder, who uh, was a great kid, throws an interception, and uh, Jason Whittle, who was the receiver who almost caught the ball in the first game, he intercepts the ball. Now, if he falls down... Game over. Game over, but he runs. He continues to run, and our best lineman uh, hits him, and the ball pops loose. Now, if the ball had pop loose and everybody's jumping on it. I don't think we, and we didn't say we recovered. I don't think we could have moved the ball and scored, but the quarterback who threw the interception ran all the way across the field. He said, I knew I felt I lost the game. So last thing I I was going to get in on a hit, I was going to tackle. Right. Right. No matter what. So our kid hits him, the ball pops loose. It bounces up right into the hands of our quarterback. He runs for a touchdown. We go for two and win the game again. (laughs)
1: Oh, now, I think about Ethan I think about
2: oh. on many many nights like how could that's fate how could those things go our way on both games yeah, so yeah. for us that i mean the lesson to be learned here is maybe maybe one player can do one act and win a game that is so meaningful because 1989 this put it uh, put us into the state tournament for the first time and five years ago, before that, I'm thinking, I don't know if we'll ever get to States. I don't know if we'll ever be good enough, might be good in Lancaster County, but will we be good enough to get to the state tournament? So that one act by that kid who said he wasn't going to give up, he was going to make that play. And this is what I would say to kids all the time. You know, you never know when your time is going to come where you can make a play. That's going to make a huge difference. Not, just score a touch but a, a difference that turned our program in I think a direction that really was unbelievable
1: got you over the hump
2: got us over the hump and then we played Berwick up at Lehigh and we was, we had a 10 nothing lead going into the fourth quarter and they scored two two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and so beat us 14, 14 to 10 but we still now in our own mind said look we can play in the state tournament. We can play with anybody because Berwick went on then to win. I think they went on to win the state title in Altoona. I think. So that's that's the a, a nice story for us. It's not a nice story for E-Town and how this <laughs> transpired. They could have they could have won both games and been in the state tournament just like we were, and maybe they would have beaten Berwick. I don't know. But for us, it was a magical ride there and that one player doing that one thing. Not not that the other players weren't involved, but just the fact if he doesn't get there and pick that ball up in one bounce, that, right. I, don't, I don't think we can score. So,
1: Yeah. Well, it's, I tell you what, I do say the same thing, especially in playoff games where, you know, before we go out there, you know, somebody's going to make a play that you don't even have on your radar tonight and it's going to change how the game goes. And, uh, you know, it tends to, it does tend to happen, I find in playoffs. But you know, you had a lot of uh, matchups with George Curry too. How many times did Mannheim Central play Berwick in those days? Too over many. and over again, right? Too many.
2: Over, and over almost all the time. we had some, we had some blowouts. They they beat us twice, pretty good. Uh, we lost the biggest one. Uh, we uh, played them at Hershey. Uh, we lost thirty-seven thirty. We were on uh, with Matt Nagy's. To uh, one of Mac Nagy's years, a quarterback actually played him twice. Uh, we were on the goal line with no timeouts left, and
1: uh, can I we, tell you what you ran? I think yeah, I remember shovel. Ran.
2: No, we didn't run a shovel pass. We ran a uh, oh. a little pick play at uh, a two, two crossing, okay. and I stepped right in front of Matt's throw and intercepted it. But that the. Uh, neat thing about that game uh they estimated the crowd at about thirteen thousand people there it was just jam-packed and uh it was a heartbreaking loss but again uh we had we had some other heartbreaking losses uh to bert what next year we played him with nagy again at quarterback we were up 17 nothing at halftime and lost 18 17 so you know i got there were a few people around town that weren't too happy. <laughs> they, I, I got a letter from some guy one time and said, be <laughs> for you. We would have won five or six state championships. There you go. So anyway.
1: Yeah. But, that, uh, how about that?
2: <laughs> going back to, uh, we had a game with the, in 2001 with Strath Haven, you know, I got, again, oh, yeah. look, we went for two uh, against D town. I'm again, courageous, smart, intelligent, a genius, mm. yada, yada, yada. However, in, in 2001, <laughs> We played Haven at Coatesville and uh, we were bad in the first day. We were stupid and bad and everything you could possibly say. We were so bad, but our kids had a great season up to that point. So at halftime, we what, what do we say to these guys? Yeah. When they are playing bad, like, okay, with a minute to go in the first half, they run a play action pass and our safety runs up to one minute to go and a half play action. He runs up and the guy throws a ball right over down the middle of the field over his, way over his head and score i'm thinking how dumb can you get now you right. know okay so anyway regardless so i don't say i don't say anything at halftime i just I, uh, with okay so the referee comes in and uh he said you got three minutes to be in the field so i called the kids in and i said look you're we're really playing terrible i said you know you're gonna really regret this if you don't come out in the second half and start playing playing football i don't care win or lose Win or lose, I said, come out and be, just be respectable. Otherwise, you're gonna, like I said, remember how bad you were the rest of your lives. I then as an afterthought, I said, look, you get to score to fourteen thirteen, because it was fourteen nothing. You get to score to fourteen thirteen. I'll go for two, and we'll win this game. Sure enough, 14-13. <laughs> the only trouble is now this this pass play we right in the guy's chest and he drops it. Yeah. So we could have gone, you know, there was hardly any time left. We could have gone for one and uh, tied the score and then went into overtime. But I, if I wouldn't have said it to the kids, if I wouldn't have said, hey, get the score to 14, 13, because did, we did call a timeout. I said, right, what do you want to do? Go for it. I said, that's right. We're going for it. <laughs> I said, I prophesied it at halftime. We'll <laughs> there you here. go, right. So, anyway, it didn't turn out as well. So, I wasn't, uh, I took a lot of heat for that, too. Uh,
1: but, yeah, was, you know, I, I think that's, well, that's that's a double edged sword of, you know, your success at Mannheim Central, too. You know, the expectations then become so uh, maybe in some years inflated compared to what talent you have. Yeah. Or, or, you know, there's certain teams you know you're going to struggle with because you don't have the talent that you had in previous years and that doesn't matter anymore.
2: I think people were so used to us getting to like winning district titles and getting to the semis. They were getting tired of losing. So any, you know, who do you blame? Uh, You know, you got to blame.
0: Like what you hear so far, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. Now this podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show.
1: Well, you, listen. You had um, you had a run of quarterbacks, probably that not very many um, coaches can can point to. Um, by the way, do you get annoyed when people call uh, Matt Nagy? Matt Nagy.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: I keep, I don't I see get, how they. I don't understand how they don't get that right.
2: I, I yell at the TV every time. I, now they could get it right now. Now when uh, they Matt didn't first, this weekend. Right. I yeah, you're exactly right, and uh, of course, maybe after what happened this weekend, they, they <laughs> yeah. don't know his name. <laughs> but uh, I talked with Matt about that, and he said when he first came up, he just let it go, and then he started to correct people, and some people then started to call him Nagy. But yeah. they, again, they're back to the Nagy part of it again. <laughs> right. I don't but, think he. I don't think he really cares too much.
1: Yeah, obviously, but you know, you had Matt who was one of the best high school quarterbacks I saw, like, like I said, I was a young coach and I'm scouting you guys every week and I'm uh, you guys were so far ahead of, of other people. Um, and I got to, you know, I got an opportunity to witness that, which was kind of cool, but you had, you know, you he sitting Jeff Smoker on the, he was on the bench behind Matt and was, was there somebody else too in there between uh, them, between them? Yeah, Chris Thompson, who... Chris Thompson, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chris has uh,
2: had some arena league coaching opportunities. And yeah. I guess he's running a quarterback cl- camps now. But, uh, yeah, uh, Matt, I wish back then, you know, we were uh, pretty much a beer team. I wish we would know the, what, we knew, what we know today. Oh, no doubt. Jeff Smoker would have been lights out on the because <laughs> right. he, he He had so much ability to see the field like we would back then at our crude we would have a a, a a five to ten minute blitz period where we would bring two three two three linebackers just run our basic pass drop back pass plays and we would just giggle and laugh that they could bring people and a guy could come free and that would be able to find the open receiver but sure. the hot read as we called it then but I think he would have been unbelievable with the RPOs today. But, again, we were not at that advanced. We were happy to be running the
1: veer and right. power I, stuff. I wish so badly that uh, inverted veer would have been a thing when I was playing quarterback. Because <laughs> back then when you were a veer quarterback, a lot of teams, at least in our section, they were playing a 52. So you had to hand it off every time. It was right. rarely, yeah. rarely right. would right. you get a chance to run the ball. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, so – you guys, the crazy, crazy thing, and, you know, just to think about replicating this, um, you guys won District 3 championships 16, 15 times out of 17 years at one point. We had, 10,
2: we had 10, 10 in a row, which was, I, you know, we had 10 in a row at one point. Yeah. So I, that's kind of unheard of. But, again, we were uh, had some good fortune, obviously, and uh, we had some pretty tough players.
1: Well, also, you know, the other thing too, you know, you guys had, um, well, you had assistants, longtime assistants that were in the school, and I'm just astounded. You know, I'm in the same boat. I have Jimmy Mick Jr. and Chad Strickler, who was a, we always we always tease him, we always tease him that he was a a great Veer running back. We always put Veer running back in front. I I, I
2: have to tell you a story about Chad, though. Oh, go ahead, please. Chad was the worst practice player I've <laughs> ever seen.
1: <laughs> his, you yeah, know what? His uh, players are going to listen to this and love it. Yes, he,
2: he was a terrible practice player. Never really uh, didn't think that he'd do much in the varsity. Well, he got his chance to play in the varsity game uh, because I think somebody was hurt. I, I'm not right. exactly sure why anymore. But in the varsity game, he ran for like 190 yards. Right. Next week in practice, he sucks. <laughs> Friday night, he runs for like 150 yards. He can't be stopped. It, he is by far one of the best, you know, game players, but one of the worst practice players. Yeah. But it's... anyway, but just a great, you know, great kid overall. I would say kid now. He's a man now. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I know him as a kid more than anything.
1: You know, Chad is our offensive line coach, and you know, it's he is so technical. So I, yeah. I, I wonder I if that surprises that. you. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't surprise you that he's technical. But, you know, for someone that hadn't played offensive line, he loves it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. like
2: it's amazing when you don't usually find a running back coach in the off- offensive yeah. line.
1: Yeah, but he, yeah. he's really good at it. But you had a couple long-time assistants too. Um, you Talk about how that is – that can impact your program. Well, you,
2: I would rather have some, uh, we would bring some of our coaches up through the midget ranks because they were Mannheim guys. And uh, that to me was uh, more important. We can teach you what you need to know, but you got to have first thing you have to be is loyal, loyal to, you know, loyal to this coaching staff. And, and second, you have to want to work hard and, and put in the time. We, I mean, even today with uh, Dave Hahn, he asks a lot of us and we're willing to, I mean, it's amazing how many hours. Like, I'm sure. very tired. But I bet uh, I put in th- at least 35 hours a week, uh, maybe 40 hours a week doing football. Yeah, And I, I don't mind doing it at all. But to have i uh, – I've said this many times, to have a coaching staff that is together. So everybody – you don't really – you don't really have to know what uh, – what like, when I was the head coach, I didn't really have to know what our defensive guys were doing because I right. knew to count on them. They knew what they had to do, and uh, I didn't worry about having to go down and watch the running backs coach what he was doing because I, I, I knew what he was doing, and I knew that he knew exactly what we needed to do. So,
1: And honestly, there's not – as a head coach anymore, there's not enough time in the day. I don't know how some guys do it. I mean, at smaller schools, obviously, you have to to some degree. Um, but you know, I agree that, uh, you got to find some guys that you just trust and, and, know,
2: yeah, well, I'm hoping now I'm, I do a lot. I coach wide receivers and I also coach special teams, which I love doing. I always loved to do that when I was the head coach. But I'm hoping that our coach, Dave, I'm hoping that he trusts me enough that he doesn't have to worry about some dumb scheme that I'm going to put in there.
1: Right. <laughs> so, right, right.
2: You now, and he can trust me to, uh, have have the drills we need and uh have have the right guys at the right place uh, as far as personnel so i and you know for me that's just like i gave responsibilities to assistant coaches because they need to buy into the program the more they more input they had the more they felt they were being responsible for things the harder they would work and that's the way i am you know i i don't want people uh looking over my shoulder and telling me what I have to do, I'd rather have them trust me that I'm going to do what's right for our team and for the personnel that we have. And we want to win the game.
1: Yeah. So. so you had those longtime assistants. And then we talked a little bit about the Mannheim central crowd. I told a little story like uh, with Jim last week when I believe Jeff Smoker was a senior. Pete Gilmore was a senior. I'm not sure if they were right. both seniors the same year, but um, and Mannheim Central came down to Wilson, and it was a huge game. And uh, the Mannheim Central, some Mannheim Central fans were asking, were calling the athletic office to to see what time uh, they could come down and start tailgating, and and we soon figured out that. Um, what they meant by tailgating was they were gonna. So they really meant tailgating, and they were gonna start. They wanted to start at nine o'clock in the morning. We we're like, we're in school. Yeah. but well, that, uh, yeah. you you probably have some great stories about you know the. Well, American
2: that was that fans. was uh, that was when Wilson beat us pretty good with smoker,
1: right? Well, you, was close, I think the end of the game didn't reflect close, that, but yes, yeah,
2: yeah, it was close, but it was a, uh, a an ass whooping, so to speak. <laughs> but
1: beat uh, at a few yards.
2: Yeah. You know, well, uh, I remember that game very vividly because we were disappointed with getting beat pretty good. And uh, speaking of the I'll speak about the Manheim people first, before I get into this other thing, uh, everywhere we would go, every away game, we would be greeted and through right. the nineties, we would be greeted by the Manheim fans that were already there. They cheer the buses rolling in. And if that, that was awesome. Uh, that yeah. would just give you chills and the kids would be fired up to see the people no matter where it was. And uh, it would be like a, a, like like the Sooners back in Oklahoma when sure. the gates would open. You'd see this rush
1: right, of right, right. pouring
2: into the stadium to find the best seats. It, it was totally amazing putting their blankets down and and
1: uh, Like the them. land rush, yeah.
2: Yeah, I remember when that game we played at Etown that 15-14 game There were so many people waiting. Our buses pulled up by the stadium there. There were just people going crazy, cheering the buses. That was just, you know, the hair stood up on the back of your neck for that. But we had a terrible experience in the next week uh, following our loss to Wilson. Okay. we, We didn't play very well. And so we had a hard week of practice and we were playing Solanco. You might remember this. Play, maybe not. Oh,
1: <laughs> I do. I know what. Yeah, I know what you're gonna say.
2: We played Solanco the next, very next week, and they were winless. But I said, you know, I used some dumb expression like, if uh, <laughs> we, we're gonna, if we have to, we'll take a sledgehammer to the mosquito. You know that yeah. kind. Of stuff. We were not gonna let up, and well, as it turns out, it was probably the worst n- night of my c- entire coaching career because it, it, we were up. 76 nothing at halftime and and couldn't do anything about it. I don't I don't want to make any excuses, but I I took so much heat for that and yeah. I got I got some I received some letters that were just uh you know heartbreaking letters uh anti Mike Williams letters. Yeah. But uh no one could actually tell me what I could have done differently to that score a final 96 nothing. And we need the ball three times to keep from going over 100. That's yeah. how big it was. We had 13 different guys running backs. We didn't even have 13 running backs, but 13 different guys carried the ball. But it was, uh, you know, when you look at coaching and uh, the worst thing, you always have to be cognizant of putting too many points on the board because sure. there's always somebody, there's always somebody that's gonna really call you out for it. Uh, so.
1: Coach, I can actually relate to that. We beat Methacton a few years back, 82 to nothing. And uh, same thing, like it wasn't – I forget what the halftime score was, but in the second half, you know, we had all of our backup players in. We ran two plays, trap and zone. Um, No one knows, and of course they didn't say it in the paper, but their punting game, they punted – three times one was like a negative punt so it came back inside their own 20. Um Another one just landed on like the 22. We didn't have very many yards in the game you know and I didn't know what to do. Um, You know do I take a knee I don't know if taking a knee is I, I, is any better but.
2: Well uh, you know there's no there's no uh, in my opinion there's no answer you could what could you could, they could punt to you and you could punt it back to them and give it right back to them. Right. That, that'd be more humiliating or you could take a knee. Uh But you always have these people that look for these uh, scores. I got letters from all over the country, people that weren't like that. even at the game uh because they saw the score and they, they wondered what the kind of a person I was, but uh I make no excuses. Uh I just, I think I, kept my mouth shut and stayed humble and it kind of worked its way. If I had been defiant, <laughs> if I had been defiant and, right. and you know, said negative things, I think that would have been a black mark. But it, people, fo- still, people still <laughs> remember it though, but they don't, nobody brings it up anymore.
1: The following week, the following week we played Solanco, Wilson played Solanco and uh, I'll never forget, um, you know, we stopped them three and out. Uh, right. To start. And, uh, and we only sent one kid on the punt block. And of course he blocked the punt and Jim was, <laughs> Jim was so mad that we that's blocked right. the punt. Uh, but, um, That's right. So really, you, that's right. You,
2: you played them the next, I do. Yeah, yeah. 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 It wasn't, it was pretty bad, but not,
1: yeah. Not, nobody, oh, was, we, nobody was going to try to approach
2: 96.
1: Pete Gilmore didn't play that game. Um, the other thing that I would say to you, too, I, I don't know. We a, a year or two ago, late in the game, we're winning handily and a senior running back that's never played before or very, very little. And I told him before he went in, if you break it big, you run out of bounds. And so he breaks it. He goes 80 yards. And I'm going, oh, oh no. And he runs out at the two, slows down and runs out at the two. And guess what? He never scored a touchdown in his high school career then. Oh, geez. And I, so, you know, there's a, there is always, well, you know, multiple sides to that. Like, I respect that uh, kid for doing that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because he, he did the right thing and he did what his coach told him to do. Yeah, but then, absolutely. you know, hey, I had an 85-yard touchdown run. He can't say that. So there's all different sides to all that. But, you know, I don't think any coach tries to, to run it up. And I tell you what – Football coaches tend to be more sensitive about that than, than other coaches I find, you know, like, do you stop playing? I guess you stop fast breaking, but do you, you know, you still try to play offense and basketball and still try to hit the ball hard. You might not steal. Uh, bases, I think,
2: so. I, I think Cantafio ran it up us. Uh, <laughs> he was trying to set a record, a uh, Bankster Lebanon league record for most points in a season. Oh, I think, there, I believe he, uh, what did you block a pun or he did something that uh, I think I was a little bit irritated at the yeah. end. I tend he to say, no, I didn't <laughs> do it. No, it was Just what happened, but
1: I tend to uh look at it this way. I know that, you know, whatever happens, whatever the other coach chooses to do is on him. You know, if he tries to run it up or whatever, or I just view it as, Well, people are going to judge him, and that's on him. I'm not going to get upset about it. I think
2: the hard part sometimes is for a coach when uh, you have the game pretty well in hand, and so you have the JVs in. (laughs) Yeah. Then the other team's defense does something that they didn't do all game. They stack everybody. Now, they're going against your JVs. They have their first team in, and they blitz everybody. Right. They just smash the kids. I, I That I don't like, but I guess sometimes you just have to take it is it yeah. fair to those younger kids to get eaten alive or, uh, you know,
0: right. Now, some years, yeah.
2: some years our JVs were as good as the varsity team. That we yeah. Played. Right. Yeah. And the, these times now, they with everybody's, uh, I think the quality of football is better. So. Right. Their right. first team going to be better than your JVs most of the time.
1: Well, um, you know, you've been around for 52 years and it sounds like, you know, you still have, uh, Sounds like you're going to go for another. I don't know about 52, but maybe, <laughs> maybe five or so, or 10 or so. Like you just, it's great. You know, I, I tell you what. I come home some days, and I was trying to compare myself. I'm 27 in, so it's about half as long yeah, overall. That's great. Yeah, but uh, there's days I come home and I'm, you know, I'm pretty tired. Um, we've changed a lot of the stuff that we do, and I know that you've um, always been willing to change throughout the years. And really to me, I think that's a, a big key to yeah, staying, I, yeah, things staying I, fresh.
2: Absolutely. I, uh, I think you can get bored of doing the same thing over and over again. It's why I, you know, I always like to, as a head coach, always like to do research and study things and always studying, always reading and studying things that we can tweak here or there. And our, Dave is uh, pretty much, the uh, is pretty much the same way now. He's very innovative and always looking and I think that's uh, somewhat refreshing. I've learned a lot about special teams. I you know when you're the head coach and trying to do offense and special teams, sometimes you can't focus, but I have really focused yeah. on special teams and learned a lot of things uh that I would do, you know, that I would beginning to do differently. Like one of the things I've learned is you can actually do special teams on air and sometimes you can learn a heck of a lot by running on air. For example, uh, you have a scout kickoff return team. Now, are you serious? Those guys are going to be right. able. You're going to teach them how to drop back, run that return. What I'm mainly concerned with is our guys are, you know, getting downfield and they have their landmarks and they know where they're going. So there are times when we just have a return guy and we are just getting down the field and working on our, you know, our landmarks and how we're going to collar. And we're talking about full field vision. See where the you got to see where the ball is. Like we don't really have a specific field landmark. We have a landmark on the ball carrier. Right. We have right. guys that are breakers and guys that are lamp. So that's something I wouldn't have done five years ago. But now with the time allotment, you know, we have we don't have that much time allotment anymore. That you got to be able to do things. Uh, you can't afford to have a you know a kickoff guy kick one out of bounds or the guy. That's supposed to return it. Your scout guy, he drops it and it's mounted right. in the end zone. But he doesn't catch scout it. Scouts. Two guys
1: don't call for it, and it goes right. between them. Yeah, so and get that's all fired up, crazy.
2: And the coach is saying, <laughs> "You're on the clock. You get one more rep." Yeah, right. Exactly. So I've learned that you know a lot of different techniques to try to make uh, you know special teams uh, simple, yet get more reps in by doing some changes. And I, I I think we've come up with some over the last year or so, some good ideas for how we can have a better practice -practice, pre-practice. I take pre-practice time. I've got the whole field organized and drills and, uh, gets a little bit of pre-practice in and we get five minutes here, five there, five there. How much team can you do in five minutes? That's why you got to, I prefer to do drills and put the team together maybe on Thursday. So, anyway.
1: Um, Well, just circling back, let's circle back on one thing before we get into the uh, non-boundary, boundary kind of thing. (laughs) Um, 2003, you guys uh, won the state championship. And uh, I I tweeted it out today, um, the last play of that, because – you probably could not have won a state championship in a more dramatic fashion. And uh, just talk about, you know, if you, if you're listening to this podcast, go on the uh, Twitter or Facebook page, the videos there of how, how it, uh, how it went down in real time with Jed Donahue talk uh, being the announcer, but I'd like to hear from you like thoughts that were going through your head and the, and you know, that, minute of time I mean it was really honestly a minute
2: well I think really what I was doing when they were kicking the uh, PAT I was looking at my play sheet thinking getting the next <laughs> plays ready for the next overtime period but I can still hear uh the sound of that that PAT walked that was just made and what a what a better way it's instantaneously it's over you don't have to worry anymore we won a state title it's, it took 10 15 seconds to sink in but such a meaningful play but that whole game was a magical game how it was played the the plays that both teams made and you were
1: playing Pine Richland
2: yeah and each team each team made great plays great catches great runs well you know it you it was didn't snowing even, you didn't even yeah it snowed the entire game. Uh, guys were cleaning the the uh, lines off of the field uh, <laughs> almost after every play, and of uh, just a credit to both both teams. However, you know at that point, the, somebody mentioned that okay, if this thing goes, maybe we should just end it and call it the championship a tie. Wow. That would have been, that would have been a set of precedent, an unbelievable precedent. So I'm glad maybe fate had it that we were going to win it just on that blocked extra point. And
1: well, how, what would you do? What would you have done? Well, who who that, could have done it? I don't even know. Can you do that?
2: Well, I guess somebody was saying that the PIAA, because it was snowing so hard and they were worried about uh, I driving and everything that they would end it early uh, end it at some point, but I'm, what you know? How do you what? What do you do? Do you, if you say you're gonna be okay with ending it in a tie, you're a state champion. If you say True. no, you could lose. So <laughs> it's really not an easy question. I'm glad I didn't have to. Over the <laughs> yeah, right. to that. But I, I think overall, uh, you know, I I, I just uh, am amazed at how well the kids played. Uh, I was thinking that we didn't even have school that day. It took us at least an hour and a half to get to Hershey because there was accident. Oh, wow. We had to go from Mannheim, uh, instead of going our direct route to Hershey, we had to get on the turnpike and go around to get to the stadium. We're thinking, is this really going to happen? Are we playing? we going to play? And so, as it turned out, once the game started, you didn't even know it was snowing. I mean, you didn't know it. They just played. Both sides played their hearts out. Coaches coached like crazy and good deal. Yeah, but the the week before, there's a story about how we even got there. The week before, we played Strath Haven. Okay, and they had Dan Connor, who's a pretty notable guy, and we played at Coatesville again. Uh, played him. That's the second time we played at Coatesville and uh, against Strath Haven. And it was a terrible day, uh, muddy field, wind, windy. Like we went for, we went for it on fourth down on our own 15 yard line. Because we knew if we punted, we're going to right. go backwards. That's how windy it was. So we went for it, and I don't know if we made it or not. <laughs> the game ended up 3 nothing. We won on a field goal 3 nothing. One of the interesting things about that, we uh, had heard through the grapevine that uh, Strathaven uh, would, was wearing, they would wear, in muddy fields, they wear cleats that are technically illegal. So uh I told my my uh, son he lives in Florida, he came up for the game. I said, Look, I want you to when the when the first <laughs> players come out on the field, I want you to just give me the high sign if you think the cleats are a little too long. So uh he sure enough, I think uh Dan Connor's out on the field and the cleats are they really look they really look long, it makes him look like he's six five. <laughs> So uh, I said, let's check everybody else out. So sure enough, there were a bunch of players that had these cleats on. So I, uh, the officials come over for the pregame meeting. So I I told the officials, I said, look, I I don't want to penalize. I don't want to penalize them for having uh, illegal equipment on, which would mean 15 yards and somebody, if if 10 guys had it, they'd be, coach would be thrown out of the game. I said, I don't want, I don't want that. I said, all I want is a, fair playing field so i said uh, could you please would you please have your, one of your guys go and inspect their cleats and if they're legal change them before the game starts so that's what they did they came in our locker room checked our guys i didn't even i was hoping when they came in our locker room i will hope none of our guys are <laughs> yeah, right we're too we're too naive though to do this stuff <laughs> like that so right sure enough they had a, they had a bunch of guys that had to change the cleats and uh, it might have caused some serious disruption in the locker room because they didn't have a whole lot of time to do it. But at least nobody got penalized for it. nobody. Right. No, Nobody was unsportsmanlike, got penalized. But that, that game was, uh, you know, the, that was really the first semifinal game we won to put us in the state finals. Yeah. Well, anyway.
1: The other year, speaking of that, uh, the other year, John Donnelly, who um, – good friends with and consider an excellent coach and friend at CB East, they showed up at uh, our field with their home jerseys. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, well, how, you know, to the ref, like they wanted us to go in and change. I said, well, we're not going to change. We're not going to change into our away jerseys. We we want, earn the right to be home. And I said, don't they get, a, you know, that's on sportsmanlike conduct, isn't it? And they, they didn't call it on them. They wouldn't call it on them. So we ended up playing both in home jerseys.
2: No kidding. I
1: I, I actually haven't, I haven't actually, uh, you know, actually talked to him about that. I'll have have to, (laughs) but we won. Okay, good. So, yeah. Well, let's kind of, I say wrap up, but this might uh, be an interesting conversation about the, some people say boundary, non-boundary, some say private, public. Um, Everybody pretty much understands what those different term means and different terms mean in Pennsylvania. Um, and you've been pretty public about it. And honestly, I haven't been as public, but I've been, um, privately having conversations with different people about it. Um, but where, where do you start from on, on that? Like how you, you, you volley, (laughs) you serve.
2: Okay. Well, uh, I think there's a definite advantage in some cases. Now, maybe that uh, maybe over the last couple of years, that uh, schools have uh, the, the advantage isn't has has been as great, at least in the sport of football. But the first thing I would say is, like you know, we the, the private schools are great schools, and they're, they're a big part of our educational system. Uh, they turn out a lot of great students. Uh, so I'm not against pu- uh, private schools, parochial schools, whatever. But I do think there's a difference, uh, maybe there's a difference in education, which obviously they, they might have a better education, top better students as well. But the difference is in, in athletics, uh, and this is why I think there should be a, a separation, because they can do things that we can't do. Uh, it's why the NCAA, for example, has several divisions, four divisions, because there, there are things that Alabama can do that, Millersville University can't do the way of scholarships. Uh, it's also resources, money that they have, the alumni that they have. So there's, there's a difference. And the NCAA recognizes that difference. Whereas in uh, Pennsylvania, we don't recognize that difference in athletics. Uh, so there are the haves and the have-nots among the, the, boundaries, uh, the, non, uh, the non-boundary schools. Uh, St. Joe's Prep, obviously, is a have and maybe that small catholic school up in the coal regions is a have not because they're struggling right. to, to stay open but those that have cornered the market uh are able to do things in the way of uh scholarships uh grants of whatever and uh they can do it uh obviously some of the poorer schools can't do things like that but it's just like if if i can if I can only have, uh, if I'm making, let's say, I'm going to make a a cherry pie, okay, and we're going to have a cherry pie contest, and you and me are going head to head, but the only cherries I can use are from my backyard. I can only use the cherry tree I have in the backyard to get the cherries. You, on the other hand, can go anywhere and get your cherries. You can go uh, to, to another state, you can go across the state of Pennsylvania. You can go to France. (laughs) You can go anywhere. Who is liable to win the cherry pie baking contest? Do they have
1: good cherries in France?
2: Uh, I don't know that, but I'm (laughs) speculating. If they do, you can get it. So it's like they have an opportunity to, uh, and they can also do things like we can't open our we can't open our uh, athletic facilities and say, Hey, uh, anybody from Lancaster County or Harrisburg that wants to come, come visit us. Check it out. Check our facilities out. Uh, We can't go down to the youth leagues in uh, other areas of, you know, other areas of the state or other areas of Lancaster County and look at young kids and talk to their parents and say, Hey, you know, come to our school. So,
1: I'm glad we don't have to do that though. I think that's, I think that's greasy. I, yeah. I really have a, I really have an issue. That's what I really have an issue with. Um, that's where, well, that's not the only thing, but I, I just feel like, uh I mean, you, we both know that kids change and go through growth spurts or don't grow or whatever, but ultimately I think it's really greasy to talk to, you know, young kids about,
0: you know, playing
1: for me. And, and, and the other thing I have a huge issue with is the false promises. Um, you know, obviously if you're a good player, um, whether you play at, you know, the public high school or a private high school, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna get an opportunity to play football if you're of that level. It has nothing really to do with, um, where you're playing. Um, And that I struggle with where, you know, because here's the other thing too. And I've had this conversation with parents. They say, well, there's so many kids at these private schools and they're going to the Patriot League and they're going here and they're going there. And I'm like, yeah, because they're writing a check. Daddy's writing, mommy and daddy are writing a check, uh, a $70,000 check to go to a Patriot League school. They're not getting the scholarship. And, you know, if you can do that, your kid, I'll, I'll call Bucknell right now and we'll get your kid in, you know? Um, that's not that like, so there's the keeping up with the Joneses aspect of it where they think everybody's getting a athletic scholarship and that's part of it. Yeah. Keeping yeah.
2: up, uh, it's prestige to a lot of parents and, uh, they don't necessarily think of what's best for the kids. And, you know, there's nothing in my, nothing better than having a community team, uh, a town team, uh, a school team, where kids can build that unity and rapport. It's not like, uh, and it's great when you go, uh, to the playoffs and, uh, you know, you have your whole community following you. If you look at the state playoffs, I mean, who who follows the, who follows the private schools, just the the parent, the families of the kids, they don't have a, you don't have a school, uh, or a community type following. So I, I learned a good lesson. You know, I did meet with the, uh, PWA Oversight Committee, I had a chance to speak in Harrisburg to them, and I was naive enough to think that logic would prevail, but <laughs> it, no, it, it was political, you know, and uh, they don't really want to touch the situation, in my opinion. They don't, they might, uh, I felt like they patted me on the head and said, nice try.
1: What's uh, your solution, coach? Do you have a solution? Uh,
2: well, you, no, because if, if you would get coaches and present their ideas. uh, They would have a lot of good ideas, a lot of good logic, but I don't think anybody wants to, I don't think anybody wants to listen or just, you know, what gets me sometimes is they don't, there's lots of problems that could be solved. If you listen to the coaches, not that the coaches are always right, but if you had a, you want to find out something, bring in five or six coaches or talk to them and let, get their ideas. And then you can make a better decision on it. But I don't think they really want to hear from the coaches now. For me, I'm over the hill. I'm not a head coach anymore, so I just right. kind of have stopped uh, trying to be, a, you know, the guy pushing for it. But guys like you, you should be, you know, just asking questions. But I know in your situation, you got to get by St. Joe's Prep, right? Or they go that they go west.
1: So no, it's, it's well, Southerton was a District One champ, and then they had to play um St. Joe's prep in the f- first round of well yeah. it's not the first round of states but uh really in district 1 the semifinals is the first round of states but they have to go play district 12 yes
2: yeah so i can feel your pain for that because that's going to be a challenge every year you know this this year's team was terrific with the uh, players that they had and uh, they was uh the genetics that they had and you know you they can Come from New Jersey. They don't even have to be from Pennsylvania. That's what yeah. gets me. They don't even have to be from Pennsylvania to play in our state
1: championships. Or, wrong. or, or playing the Big Thirty Three game.
2: Yeah, right. That that happened. That's been happening for quite a while.
1: Yeah.
2: I remember uh, in Florida. You know, we're down here in Florida now. But I was just reading an article about uh, a local player who who made a uh, who made his commitment to a D one commitment and he played at three different high schools in his high school career because there's they go uh, county sc- county wide school districts so right. he he played at one school as a freshman another school as a sophomore and then then it said in the paper he wanted to join so and so at the land this really really top division one play he wanted to join him at the land high school so that's where he went the last two years because he wanted yeah. to play with this guy that now you imagine us saying hey This guy wants to come to Manheim Central because he wants to play for Coach uh, Hahn or Coach Williams, or he wants to play with this quarterback that we have. Now, imagine
1: that that happening. um, Nick Saban most recently came out and said he doesn't want kids that went to two or three high schools. So it'll be interesting on, you know, if guys start to follow through on that because obviously now the transfer portal has really, you know, become this wide open I mean the dam is broken on yeah. that and it and and I you know in college I feel differently about it because I understand you know there's cases like Joe Burrow and where you know guys didn't necessarily have an opportunity but you know I don't think I think there's still tweaks that need to be made to the system yeah read. But, you know, in high school, I think, you know, a good first step might be to, like, one of the things that irks me is, and again, if you want to send your children to uh, a private school for whatever reason you might have, um, you know, go for it. But one of the things that I always, and this happens in Harrisburg a lot, is where, you know, you drive right past one parochial school to get to another, Um, you don't go to the local school you you drive past it and you go to another one and that you know if you want a Catholic education in that case um well then go to that local one but that happens all the time in district one district 12. Yeah
2: well I think I think originally when they passed this law that the, the PIAA had to include these private schools that was way back when in early 70s when we didn't have the uh the situation we have today that was back when you went to your if you went to a Catholic school, you went to your local, the local Catholic school. You didn't go across boundaries. You didn't go to another County. And that's, that's when everything was uh, not as intense. Now, now we have the recruiting process and uh, who can, you know, and who's that? the PIAA, you shouldn't be able to recruit, but the PIAA has no way. They don't have the manpower to determine whether a kid's getting aid to go there or whether he's being recruited. So, there's a difference, you know. Man, I'm central. We don't give aid to those kids to right. come. We don't. Uh, we can't recruit. If we did, we'd be, we'd be sanctioned by the district three. <laughs>
1: right. You no. Know? Well, and the same thing goes to and the, well. The only thing that you can do is you can appeal or block attempt to block the transfer, and like you know, that puts a lot of pressure on, on you as the head coach. Sure. Yeah. Like, other- and I, I'm not gonna go like. I don't want to go have a fight with a, and then okay, so you win. That kid comes back to your school. Then what? Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's just a weird process right now. But you know that uh, in District One and in District Twelve, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the Wild West, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on that um, you know, yeah. and 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 a lot of schools have felt the the brunt of it. I know we have. Um, there within the past uh, two years, there's three quarterbacks playing at other schools. No kidding. Wow. And also, um, you know, we played Pope John Paul, which is the local Catholic school. Um, and there were four kids that we were playing against that were, you know, and I'm sure more, but kids that I just recently, you know, were in, they were, you know, at Spring Ford up until, you know, ninth grade or 10th, or actually 10th grade. So, right. but, yeah, I don't know that there's a good solution. You know, the real sticking issue, the real sticking point really with the with the multiplier and everything else is St. Joe's Prep has nowhere to go. So for 6A schools, you know, ultimately, you know, Southerton had a pretty good year and had a pretty good team, and maybe they had a once-in-a-decade team. But, uh, you know, then they ran into uh, St. Joe's Prep, and there you go. So yeah. right. But. Well, Coach, I thank you for um, – for sitting down with us and uh you know hopefully you have a, a good weather in florida it's a little cold up here in pennsylvania but uh
2: it's uh, we got a cold wave down here when it was in the high 60s today. yeah yeah yeah
1: that's <laughs> that's what they all say in florida yeah but uh enjoy your vacation and uh i know you'll be getting back at it soon and we'll go from there all right chad good all, right, nice all right talking with you really, all right really enjoy tonight thank you all right thank you have a good night
2: All right, you too.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the PA Football Story podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook or on our website, pafootballstory.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating, a follow, a like, a share, or just simply tell a friend about the show.